welcome to the Daily Cut podcast of Park Community Church. I'm Noah Chung, uh, one of the pastors at the Near South region. Throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add even a little sense of rhythm to life. So we created the Daily Cut, short biblical devotionals that we now post every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We hope you're encouraged and challenged in your walk with Jesus. This is the Daily Cut, and I'm Noah Chung. You know, if you've been in the church for a while, we, we know the main prophets, the, the big guys like Isaiah or Jeremiah or even Ezekiel. But there are many others who are, have small, shorter you know, books or prophecies in the Bible, but they don't get much love. And today we'll be going through Joel, which is not a real common one. Uh, there's one really well-known passage or verse that's in Joel because it's referenced again in the New Testament. But just quickly, uh, the book of Joel is a short book. We don't know exactly who Joel is or you know when it was written. Most likely written close to when uh, Judah or, or Israel would be um, overcome by uh, foreign nations because of their sin. And so we see a reference here in Joel 1 that there was this invasion of locusts. Yes, I said locusts, um, large, big grasshoppers that would eat up all sorts of food and vegetation. Um, what's interesting here is that most likely it's either two things. Either Joel is prophesying that the locusts have already come or will come, and it could be actual locusts. We see in Israelite history that there are cases where locusts um, just make an intense famine in the land of Israel. Um, but it also could be referring to an army of men from foreign men that are coming kind of like a locust swarm. And so we don't know exactly what that looks like um, and how that looked. I mean, it could be either or because we see both examples in scripture. But what's interesting is that if it was physical locust, that in the book uh, of Exodus, when we see the 10 plagues against Egypt, one of those plagues was locusts. And so it's really interesting to see that how Israel has gone so far away from God and his ways that God is using one of the same plagues he used for Israel, now against Israel. Um, and if we see in Joel chapter 1, verse 12, we see that this relates to a physical famine. So it says, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness, our joy dries up from the children of man. So this this prophecy, this what's happening is that much of their physical but also spiritual lives are being just dried up and taken away and they are mourning. And so Joel has this call to repentance for uh, the people of Israel because that when the day of the Lord comes that they will receive judgment for their sins. You know, one thing that's interesting about the, the prophets and the minor prophets especially is that there's never, there's always uh, a strong highlight of God's justice against those who are not following his ways, and especially to the people of God who have not followed in God's ways, whether it's relating to their neighbor, whether it's treating foreigners, whether it's um, love, you know, um, doing right, uh, doing right, and obeying God's law. God promises that if they disobey, that they will face judgment. In most cases, it's through famine, it's through disease, it's through foreign nations conquering them. And so, Joel, halfway through the book, he calls out for the people of God to return to him. He says in chapter two, verse 12, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, 
and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Jesus, our God is saying that if you come to me, I will receive you. I am gracious and loving. If you repent, I will receive you. And so what's interesting in the book of Joel is a very short book, but it's very much what most of all the prophets are doing. It's pointing out sin. It's calling for people to repent. And then towards the second half of chapter two and the rest of chapter three, we see these blessings that God promises for those who come back and turn back to God, to his ways and to his promises. And, you know, it's it's really cool. I, I was looking at a couple commentaries and just different things on the book of Joel, but there's kind of four blessings that God actually promises to the Israelites if they return back to God. He says that, you know, because locusts have come in the first part of chapter two, he says that he will bring new wine and new grain and new oil back into their land. So he's promising that if they return to him, that eventually there will be a physical restoration to the people of God. The second thing he shows, um, which is the one that I'm going to go a little bit more deeper in later, is he shows in chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, um, a universal spiritual restoration. Now, this is the well-known verse that talks about how the Lord will pour out his spirit upon his people. So he's saying that a spiritual restoration will come as well. And then in chapter 3, the Lord promises that for those um, locusts, which also it could mean like a physical army conquering Israel, those enemies will also be punished for their wickedness and that God will establish his new kingdom um, on, on heaven and on earth. And so there's a promise of judgment for the wicked if they return, if, uh, if Israel returns back to God. And then the last promise that, or the last blessing that God reminds them is that there will be a, a glorious future for Judah uh, towards the end of chapter three, where as we see at the last line of Joel is, for the Lord dwells in Zion, or essentially it means that the Lord will dwell with his people, kind of pointing to a future full restoration. And so Joel is actually very, um, I think it's a bit more positive than most of the other prophets. Uh, but I do want to focus on the major passage in Joel chapter two. And so let me just read that. It's verses 28 through 32 in chapter two. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male, even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now, uh, I think two weeks ago, I, I was able to share with you all about Acts chapter 2 in the, in Pentecost, when we actually see this prophecy being fulfilled, when the Holy Spirit rushes like a wind and anoints the disciples in the upper room with fire, and then they are and then they are then activated and they are speaking in tongues and different languages, and then Peter goes out and proclaims the the gospel and the truth, and uh, three thousand uh, men were saved on that day. So it could be even more people, but three thousand people plus were saved on that day, and we see that. And what's unique about this prophecy 
uh, that's helpful for us. And it's it's really interesting that's kind of like nestled, like kind of nestled here in the book of Joel is that the spirit in the Old Testament would usually only be poured out on very specific people, perhaps like King David, or we see even um, like uh, Samson. Uh, it, it was never really um, a, a spirit would never fall on like a group of people. But in Joel, we see that in one day, um, and this of course happens only by the grace of God and through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we see later in scripture, but that the spirit will be poured on all flesh, all people. And so what it's saying is that the spirit of God will fall on people not having any social distinction, not having any gender distinction, not having any ethnic distinction, that it talks about sons and daughters, young men and old men, male and female servants. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And, you know, just thinking about um, what what we see in Acts 2, when the spirit was then poured out to the, the many people and also just signifying the different languages being spoken, we see that the church then is on fire and activated and then the church is birthed and it moves forward, not by the power of people, but by the power of the spirit to all people, men and women, Gentile and Jew, uh, poor and wealthy, to all people to spread the good news of the gospel, but also to be kingdom people who love and serve, who do mercy, who who do justice within their communities and within their um, their cities and in their countries and in the world. And, you know, as we see this and as Joel prophesies, it's being fulfilled. Um, and it's a promise that happens when the people of God repent. Um, in Joel, what's interesting is, is that this pouring out of spirit happens only when the people of God return to the Lord. That's that's kind of is a, is a sequ- sequence in that process. And, you know, for for us during this time, kind of like bringing it now back to us as the church, uh, going through a very unique time in our history uh, with COVID and now with, um, you know, the, the tragedy and the, the murders of, of uh, African-American lives um, and police brutality and systemic injustice. It, there is a deep, deep call of towards repentance. Um, and it's it's really it's really interesting because I, I feel like in the church where I've grown up too is that like we've made repentance very much something that should be individual, which is true, a hundred percent true. But we've really not talked a lot about how repentance is required corporately um, and also historically um, or like in generationally. Maybe that's a better word to use. But when we see the the prophet Joel and even for other prophets in Scripture when they call the people to repentance, they're calling for the entire nation, the people group to repent. Um, even though there may be a couple of others who may be, you know, righteous and, and, and good. He's they're, he's they're calling out for the entire people of God to repent because we as people, yes, we sin, sin individually, but we have a corporate responsibility, a social responsibility to to advocate and to, to, to come to God and, and repent of the ways that our people, or even if our, our fathers, our forefathers, our mothers have done. And in, we, in the in the major prophets and the minor prophets, we see this, that it's always a corporate uh, call to repentance. There's the corporate call to lament, the corporate call to fast. Um, and then there's a corporate call to come back, return to the Lord, to repent of the ways that you're 
your generations past, your community now, and even you yourself have been complicit or silent in not advocating for righteousness or justice. And, you know, for us today, um, sometimes even right now, especially within the, in light of Black Lives Matters and uh, Black Lives Matter and just how we are called to respond in uh, a system and a culture that is uh, pervasively against some and for others, we all, no matter what background we have, no matter how much we think we are race, aren't racist, are racist, um, not involved, or should be more involved, there is a deep call for all of us as Christians, as the church, to repent. Even if we don't believe we individually have done anything wrong, we are all corporately responsible to how the church, the people, um, our, our, our family background have done in that. Uh, I want to share one quick story and then, and then kind of stop. But uh, my uh, professor in seminary, Dr. Peter Cha, told a story once when uh, during uh, InterVarsity's Urbana Conference, so it's a big missions conference that invites all college students and even international students all over the world and mainly the U.S. to have a conference, a five-day conference on um, missions. And there was one point where a lot of these InterVarsity leaders were gathering together. And it was during this time where um, there was some kind of some division and some animosity or some difficulty happening between the Korean American university staff and the Japanese American university staff. And so I'm Korean. Uh, so I kind of know the story well, but Korean and Jap- Japanese history go very, very hand in hand. And it's also a very negative and, and bad one where Japanese, the country and the people have oppressed Korea for, for decades and decades. And there's a long history of a lot of war, persecution, um, rape and just very, very, very bad things. And of course, these university student leaders are not responsible for that historic tragedy that happened. But for some reason, I'm not too sure why, via prayer and worship and kind of conversation, the Japanese American uh, student leaders wanted to have a physical kind of demonstration where they felt a call and a need to repent and ask for forgiveness for what their parents and, and grandparents' generations had done to the Korean-American parents and grandparents and generations. And um, my seminary professor was telling us a story and how just immensely powerful that was to see that, even though they were not directly responsible, that heart of repenting and asking them to forgive them was so powerful that it drew them closer together and it created more unity. And really he saw the spirit move in terms of healing um, and just even allowing that Asian American fellowship to be even stronger than before. And so I relate that back to today in terms of this passage and how the spirit is poured out only when repentance is done. And I think for us as people of God, we need to have a continual heart of repentance and trust that as we repent, the spirit of God will then is, is in us, but will be continually used in us to be his hands and feet, to be Christ's hands and feet, to, to, to show hope in a world where there is so much brokenness, so much um, in, uh, injustices, so much pain, so much sorrow, um, that we as a people are people of repentance, but also a people who have the spirit being poured out on us that we can um, indeed uh, serve, uh, prophesy even, which I think here means to, to proclaim good news, to, um, to, to to critique culture even as well, uh, and to, to know that we have the Spirit of God moving 
us forward to, to be on mission for him. And so hopefully that's a good word for you all uh, this morning or afternoon or evening, whatever time you're listening to this. Join us again on Wednesday for our next devotion.